If you have a Bible, perhaps you could be finding that as well and turning to Psalm 123, uh, which I will read in just a moment. After a couple of weeks break, we're now returning to uh, our series on this collection of Psalms, right, well, a bit more towards the end of the Psalms, if you're not familiar with where to find them. It's just before you get to the middle of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you and you open it around about in the middle, the chances are you'll hit Psalms. If you don't have a Bible with you, then don't worry because the scripture will come up on the, on the screen. Uh, which I will, uh, I'll read now, we'll, we'll get into together. It says this, Psalm 123. I lift my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured much contempt. We've endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. There we have it. Psalm uh, 123, the the fourth psalm in this collection that we've been looking at, the Songs of Ascent, which God's people uh, sang together as they went on a journey. From wherever they lived within Israel's borders, three times a year, they would en masse travel by foot to Jerusalem, to one of the big national festivals that the Lord had commanded them to uh, to observe, and as they went on their way, uh, they would sing these songs. And so we've been looking at those songs, we've been looking at, as it were, the, the different steps they took, and then reflecting for us, as followers of Jesus, who said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For us, what does it mean to, to walk with God? What steps does it involve? And each step that we've looked at is not it's not a, a one-off. Um, actually, these are things we get practice at, and we and we and we keep taking in this life as we're walking with God towards a glorious heavenly future with Him. Uh, there are a few steps that we take. So, a very brief summary of Psalm 120 would be that took us towards the step of repenting, of of turning away from what the world is like, and saying, "No, I need to go God's way." There are things in the world which are just counted as normal, lying lips and a deceitful tongue, or the examples given in Psalm 120, and that can get to us, and we can start to kind of um, uh, be drawn towards that and by our own human nature, um, go that way of life. But repenting is turning away from that. So we've taken that step, we've looked at that step, we've looked at the second step in uh, Psalm 121, which is all to do with trusting trusting uh, God. When there's lots of different directions we could be looking in for help, I'm going to look to him and trust in him. In Psalm 120, uh, 122, we looked at the step of worshipping, of rejoicing. It's not a one-off. It's something we're called to do uh, and, uh, and, and we don't tire of. We, we love to gather together. We love to sing his praise. We, we love that he's made himself present amongst us. And worship is the natural response uh, to all that he's done in our lives. And then we're going to get to this next step, this fourth step, 
which is all about uh, waiting. Waiting on the Lord. And again, in the world, in ordinary life, the question might come from many people reading these songs, well, why repent? Why trust God? Why even believe that he's real? Why worship him? And quite honestly, why wait? Um, we live in a world where we want things instantly, we expect things instantly, and if you're anything like me, you can become a little bit impatient. impatient. Uh, you've, you've got in the car, you've got to get somewhere, and now would you believe it, the traffic lights are against you. How dare they turn red? Uh, just as I arrive, don't they know that I've got somewhere to go? And kind of, it's okay, we'll be on time, it's fine, just drum, drum your fingers on the steering wheel. Or sometimes if you're anything like me, you, you sometimes talk to the traffic. And that's never good really. Again, this is a 30 mile an hour zone, why are you driving at 28 miles an hour? I shouldn't have to wait, I shouldn't, I, nothing should impede my progress. Um, and dare I say, sometimes in, in, the, in, the, in the ordinariness of life, um, we can become impatient in lots of things. We think, well, well, why wait? If I, I don't have to save for it, I could just get it now. I can buy it now and, and pay for it later. Um, we are programmed, or our, our culture, our society wants to encourage us always to think, no, you can have it now. You never need wait. Um, uh, however, we have a psalm here that encourages us to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Well, what does that mean? We're going to ask a few questions. First of all, we'll look at, well, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Secondly, ask the question, well, why do we wait on the Lord? And also, thirdly, how do we wait on the Lord? So first of all, what does it mean to to wait on the Lord. Waiting on someone. Have you got a good catch? Three, two, one. Good lads. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on someone is something that a servant does. A slave or a master. We, we see there in verse two. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master. As the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress. The, the image it conjures up is of somebody who is serving a master or a mistress. And the key word, I suppose, is eyes. I lift my eyes to you as the eyes of slaves, as the eyes of a maid, as our eyes look. The eyes of this person are keenly, intently looking at the person they serve. Um, Standing, watching intently to hear what they say, or even just waiting for a very uh, subtle gesture, quick turn of the head, just a raise of the hand, and they're quickly there, straight um, away. It sounds old-fashioned, sounds a bit out of touch from uh, another age. We, you know, who here thinks, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. I want to be uh, a maid. I want to, I want to be a butler. Um, now, maybe if, if some of you uh, have been keen on uh, the, the period drama on television, Downton Abbey, um, it, well, it might actually help kind of represent, show some idea of what waiting on somebody 
uh, looks like. Because you have a lord, and they might be in some grand hall in their massive dining room entertaining lovely guests. And they're sat at the table um, in, well, like yourselves, just wonderful, um, dignified, refined company. And uh, they're looking to their guests. The maid or the butler is stood behind, watching, waiting. The model of discretion, but also readiness. They might not even be making eye contact with Lord Grantham, but as soon as Lord Grantham just goes like that, Carson appears and steps in immediately um, to find out what's, what are your instructions, my lord. Um, it, it seems so... Um, old-fashioned because it's it's not what life looks like now, at least not for uh, very many of us. And and you might have come across that if at school you've done a, a project or a trip all associated with the theme of uh, studying the Victorians. And so who has gone on a school trip like that and thought, yes, I really, this this is great, I, I love this. It's, it's, it's like a step back in time, isn't it, obviously? Um, so what are, we make, what are we to make of what it means to wait on the Lord? It, it, the very phrase itself sounds uh, incredibly old-fashioned. It sounds unusual. It sounds like something rare that we might do like, bizarrely every now and again. But this servant, this slave, this maid, it's their continual posture. It's what they're con- continuing to do. I'm, I'm looking uh, I'm training my eyes, I'm, I'm not paying attention to all the distractions around me, I want to know what he's going to say, I want to know what he's going to do, I want to know what he would have me do uh, to serve him. So waiting on God means God is the master, he is our master. And so many times if you're reading a letter in the New Testament, how many times does Paul or Peter or James introduce themselves by saying, Paul, a servant of God, a slave of Christ Jesus. And you see the same with, with James and Peter. It's what they understood as their, as, as, uh, as their role, as their relationship. Obviously, it was modelled by Jesus, uh, who came not to... Uh, to be served, but to serve, incredibly, to serve us. But he was serving the will of God and even knowing who he was. We're told in John chapter uh, 13 at the, at the Last Supper that he got down from the table. He kind of wrapped a towel around himself. He got down. He served his disciples and washed their feet. So this, I'm, I'm giving you an example. Um, and so waiting on God means that we are his servants. Now, obviously, God helps us and serves us in so many ways. And so many times through these Psalms, we'll see it. God is my helper. God is my helper. Where does my help come from? Uh, It it runs all the way through. It's wonderful that that describes what he has done for us. But he's still the master. God is still the master. That makes us servants and servants. The relationship between us doesn't actually switch around. If you look with me in, uh, in Luke chapter 17. 
And in verse 7, we read there, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and, and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. An intriguing passage that we would perhaps like to think doesn't really belong. Um, but I think what it means is it, it, the role never turns around. In other words, it's, it's not us becoming the master when at, at my merest gesture or the slight turn of my head, God runs in. Oh, I'm ever so busy. Sorry, you've got to understand there's lots of people to serve. But uh, yes, my master, uh, what can I do for you? Uh, fetch my coat right away. Oh, uh, uh, and, uh, and also, could you find me a parking space? Uh, right, yes, right away. I'll move. God doesn't become a servant to us in that way, as though waiting on the Lord means. I, I click my fingers, and you've got to understand, you, you, know, you have to be patient sometimes. The service around here isn't always amazing, but eventually uh, Carson will make it to you. Uh, that's not what it means to wait on God. But I think some, sometimes in a, a world which encourages frenetic activity, sometimes, subtly, we can kind of drift back to that way of thinking, God, you've got to understand, I don't have that much time. This is my communication with you today. Would you, right, I'm sorry, I've got to go now, so I'm just going to have to leave that, and off we, off we rush. Um, Now, does that sound a bit heavy? Does that conjure up the image of a guilt-ridden, nervous, groveling slave or servant. Is that what it means to wait on God? I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm an unworthy servant. Will you have mercy on me? What do you want me to... And we get into a bit of a panic. I don't think it looks like that either. But let's move on to our our next question. What does it mean to wait on God was the first one. It means that God is the master and we're his servants. Moving on to the second question. Why do we wait on God? Are we waiting on God for instructions? Finding out what he wants us to do. Finding out what is important to him. Well, well, yes, of course it involves that. But if you look at this psalm, the person singing, the people singing, are actually making a request. They uh, as, our, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of a mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy. The, the servant is coming and asking again for help. Master, will you intervene? I'm bringing to you my concern. I'm bringing to you something that is, that is hard and is difficult for me to deal with. So the, the prayer, the request, is passionate. I'm in great need. And sometimes we've seen in these psalms, they kind of, we'll see, we've seen this rhythm emerging where sometimes the psalm is, is focused on or the, the context is, is showing that this is to do with 
life in the world is hard. Lord, have mercy. We see that because in this psalm, the reason they're coming to their master is that we've endured much contempt. We've endured much ridicule from the proud. We much contempt from the arrogant. That's what's leading this person to wait on God. This is grim. We've endured much brings to mind kind of the image of you know, sitting down at a meal and you're fully satisfied. You have had enough. If you're offered more, even if the meal was nice, I couldn't possibly have another bite. Push the plate away. This is pushing the plate away. I've had enough of ridicule and contempt. And sometimes walking with God involves being on the receiving end of that. Sometimes in our culture, quite subtly, in other parts of the world, with incredible hostility. Um, to, to walk with God is to daily be expecting contempt and ridicule from others. Why are you wait, waiting on the Lord? Why are you worshipping? Why repent? You talk about, you Christians talk about freedom. This doesn't look much, much like freedom to me. It's like, all oh, oh, right, yeah. Contempt and ridicule. Literally just, oh, had enough. But look, waiting on the Lord, here in this psalm, the focus is not on what I can do for him. The focus is on God and what he can do for me. And the focus is not, I'm asking for mercy to see if God is merciful. Maybe he's a bit of a hard taskmaster. I'm not sure quite what to expect. God's people, centuries before, had been under a very hard taskmaster by the name of Pharaoh. And perhaps initially, they, in, in learning to relate with God, they had to learn to understand that God was completely different. He was their master, but he's completely different. Whereas Pharaoh cracked the whip harder and said, now, right, now you've got to collect straw for yourself. I'm not even going to help you do that, but I want you to make the same number of bricks as before. Oh, just more weariness, more hard work. They had to learn that actually God was completely different. So in this psalm, they're not asking the question to see if God is merciful. They're asking because they know God is merciful. In a crisis, we go to God. There's a little word that kind of shows the confidence that their request uh, has. So our eyes look to the Lord at the end of verse 2, our God, till... And that's a wonderful word in this, in this psalm. Till he shows us his mercy. In other words, we know he's good. We know he's full of mercy. We know he's full of compassion. And we know he's in control of absolutely everything. We lift our eyes to him. Who is our master? Well, he's one whose throne is in heaven. He's seated above absolutely Everything. He's not just my master. He's the master of the entire universe. And I can come to him, put my request before him, and know that the master of the whole universe, who is the master of my own life, is thoroughly and totally and overflowingly full of mercy. I've been on the receiving end of it before. 
And I know, one way or another, I will encounter his mercy time and time again. So even in the midst of trouble, as they're singing this psalm, God's people are not ranting. Don't you care? And they're not giving way to worry. Nor are they withdrawing, which is perhaps almost what the recipe would say. The recipe is them is there for them to think, oh, let's just withdraw. I've been walking with God, but walking with God has earned me ridicule and contempt from other people. I know what, perhaps I'll just go, take a few steps back, not look quite as keen, not be quite as zealous, maybe not make quite a bigger deal of my faith, because actually it's earned me ridicule. So I'll just take a few steps back. I don't want to look too keen um, before my mates or before a watching world. I don't want them to think that I'm totally gullible or naive. Um, uh, so I need to make, make it clear I'm sophisticated. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a servant. Yeah, I'm, I'm involved, but uh, I'm not giving my whole life over. Uh, Sometimes when the trouble comes, when persecution comes, or nagging worries and doubts come, we just want to take a step back. But we see uh, in the early church, in the, in the life of other Christians, this, this reflex, even when the going gets tough, I come to God more. <laughs> so uh, we might ask another question, I suppose, which wasn't on the notes, but you know, when do we wait on the Lord? Well, it's not just limited to tiny fractions of time here or there or very rare occasions. Uh, it's a whole posture of our lives. Um, uh, nevertheless, there are certain times when it becomes even more important. You know, when the going gets tough, when the troubles of life are getting me down, it's even more important to come and uh, wait on the Lord. I've just uh, ducked into some of George Muller's auto uh, biography uh, this week who uh, Christian from uh, the Victorian era actually uh, or within, uh, within that time and uh, was responsible for uh, for building and running uh, many orphanages uh, for children with no parents in Victorian uh, Britain and he did it by waiting on the Lord and by trust, and, and famously, he, he never advertised, he never said, he never put the word out what their needs were as an organization uh, in order to fundraise. I said, no, we're just going to trust God. And it wasn't kind of just being awkward or trying to earn extra brownie points. He wanted people, he wanted the orphans, and he wanted the people who were working with him to see what God would do and to put their faith uh, in God for the provision they needed to feed and house and clothe hundreds of orphans. Um, so join me, August the 31st, 1838. I've been waiting on the Lord for finances because the expense reports from the girls' orphan house have arrived, and there is no money available to pay for housekeeping, but the Lord has not yet sent help. Uh, when the matron called today for money, one of the labourers gave her two pounds of her own. Now, it might sound a bit unimpressive to talk about two pounds or a few pounds here and there by today's monetary value, but uh, obviously then it was a much uh, greater value. September the 1st, the Lord in his wisdom and love has not yet sent help. Where it comes from is not my concern. 
But I believe God's will, in, God will, in due time, send help. His hour is not yet come. This is the most trying time that I've had in the ministry concerning finances, but I know that I will yet praise the Lord for his help. September the 5th. Our hour of trial continues. The Lord mercifully has given enough to supply our daily necessity. But he gives by the day now and almost by the hour as we need it. Nothing came in yesterday. I sought the Lord again and again, both yesterday and today. And it seems that he is saying, my hour is not yet come. I have faith in God. I believe that he will surely send help. Many pounds are needed within a few days and there is not a penny in hand. This morning, two pounds were given for the present needs by one of the labourers in uh, the work, and uh, I could end up praying for quite, uh, reading it through for quite a long, a long time. It's just so encouraging then to see when the answers come. You think well, George, he must have been a very busy man. What did he prioritise? I'm going to prioritise waiting on the Lord. Did help come straight away? No, it didn't come straight away. I had many experiences and examples of just trusting God. I know He's good. I know He will help. I don't know how, and I don't know when, but He will. And then time again, he sees God's um, provision. And we can become dry, um, worried Christians when we are, allow ourselves to doubt God's mercy. Um, we can drift into thinking, God, don't you care? Notice that this psalm, it, it feels like it kind of ends with a bit of a cliffhanger. You, you kind of want to read further and... Uh, We'll have the pleasure of doing that next week when Tom leads us through Psalm 124. But it, it, it ends suddenly. Why? Well, the answers haven't come yet. They're still in this moment of waiting on the Lord when the answers haven't come. But they're trusting. The Lord will provide. Sometimes as Christians we can drift into thinking, well, I was saved by grace. When I first made that decision to walk with the Lord, when I first... Um, received God's forgiveness through Christ, I was so aware of his mercy. I was so aware of his grace and his kindness. But as the weeks and the months and the years went on, um, well, I was saved by grace and I was aware of his mercy, but now uh, I have to serve. And our focus can be less on what God has done and more on what we feel we have to do. And the solution to any problem then will always seem, if that is our frame of mind, to be, I must do more. The solution is me. The solution is I have to work harder. The solution is I, 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 I have to do more. The solution is I've got to stretch myself. The solution is uh, I've got to rush and hurry. Uh, maybe I've got to communicate with loads of people because I need them to know the situation. You, know, you think well, George Muller could have taken that approach and just gone frantic on, on trying to raise profile and uh, raise people's awareness and not deliberately trying to pressure people, but it would be good if they gave. So I'll just let them know the current crisis that's developing. So, no, his priority was waiting on the Lord. But does that sound realistic? Is waiting on God just another extra thing that I need to factor in to an already busy schedule? Um, any exhortation from the Bible can sometimes just seem like do more, do extra, try harder. Maybe set the alarm a little bit earlier. Oh, because I've got to get on the treadmill early. So having looked at oh, 
Well, why do we wait on God? We wait on God because God is merciful and God knows what we need. And we believe in God's goodness and we're not focused on all what I must do for him. But if that question's in our mind, does that sound realistic? Let's go to the third question. How do we wait on him? How do we do it? Well, firstly, just from looking at this psalm, uh, we can see that actually we do wait on God together. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our, our eyes look to the Lord, our God. People who are walking with God on this journey, on this pilgrimage, are singing together. They are waiting on God uh, together. And sometimes on, on a journey, if you're traveling by foot, sometimes you need the encouragement of others if at the point where maybe you get uh, a little bit weary and others are there to, uh, to in, in, encourage. I wonder even sometimes for us as a community whether you've had the experience sometimes of knowing you're right in the thick of it. Uh, the crisis has hit. The trouble has come. And you're waiting on the Lord. But, but sometimes... I wonder how many have had that experience where actually you feel, you sense, you discern somehow the benefit and strength you have received by virtue of other people who've been praying for you. You kind of know somehow you're being carried by a community who are, who are with you. That's, that's supposed to be happening. <laughs> That's the privilege we have as a people. It, it will reciprocate. Sometimes you'll be the one praying and someone else is getting the benefit of really being carried through, um, through hard times. We are called to do it together. and, and uh, That's why we gather. That's why we worship. Um, it shouldn't be desperately unusual for us to wait on the Lord together. But it's also, secondly, personal. Something that I choose to do. That's how the psalm begins. I lift my eyes to you. That's where the psalm starts. Uh, If you had a pressing uh, decision or issue in life, if the crisis is hit or you're just pondering something, a a prayer that's not yet been answered, wisdom that you've not yet received, you're you're kind of asking God for, for help and assistance to make something clear, would you feel fobbed off if over coffee later on in conversation about it I said, have you, how about you wait on God? Have you waited on the Lord about it? Would you feel that? But that, I want the quick fix. You that's a fob off. I've been brushed off. Oh, he must be busy. But, um, that's, I suppose if you discerned that I wasn't that interested, I was already looking over your shoulder at somebody else I knew I needed to talk to. All right, um, yeah, wait on, wait on the Lord about it and let me know what happens. And I'm already walking away before I finish my sentence. And perhaps you could discern, you have been brushed off. <laughs> um, and I hope I don't do that. Um, and that uh, you don't either. But um, actually, the personal encouragement and privilege we have to wait on God, that's not a brush off. That's not being fobbed off. I think sometimes we want the quick fix. So we think, I'll... I'll chat to a friend and hopefully they will give me the answer. What do you think God is saying? Well, I think God is saying this. Fantastic, great. And, and then I don't have to wait on the Lord because I've got an answer. Um, we need to be a people who are 
you've got faith to wait. And we're confident that God will answer. And we might be helped as waiting on the Lord, we may be helped by a conversation with a friend. We may be helped by a, a Christian book that someone has recommended. We may be helped by a sermon podcast or five that we've listened to this week. We've, we've kind of benefited from that. That may have uh, fed us and encouraged us. But those things themselves aren't waiting on God. Waiting on God is not listening to John Piper, though he's really encouraging. Waiting on the Lord is not reading a great book by Tim Chester, but I can tell you one he's written that's really encouraged me recently. And waiting on the Lord is not having a coffee with a friend. Waiting on the Lord is something we do together, something we do personally. I lift my eyes to you. But if only there were some other biblical example to show us how. How do we do it? Let's have a look at another example before we... Uh, before we close by turning to uh, Luke and chapter 10 and verse 38 that's where we'll read just spend a few moments before we uh, conclude the the situation that develops in the home of Martha and Mary as Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha wants to honour Jesus. Martha wants to do, uh, be hospitable uh, to him and his disciples. Maybe she even wants to do something extra special. Uh, let's read on. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha wants to honor Jesus Perhaps she wants to do something really special. Perhaps, therefore, it has become unnecessarily elaborate. She's doing way more than she needs to do. And it's become a distraction. And she's worried about getting it all done. And she's not doing what Jesus had asked her to do. And it becomes a little bit ironic. She wants to welcome Jesus into her home. She then has no time to spend with Jesus listening to him. Because she's too busy. But she, she has the intention. She has the desire. Um, and she's placed undue pressure on herself to be the amazing hostess. And sometimes for Christians we can have this desire. I, I want to discover my calling. I want to make something of my life for him. I want to serve. And perhaps overlaid on top of that becomes a more worldly attitude. I want to be exceptional. I want to do something that's even better. I want to do something that will be elaborate. I want to do something that will get other people's attention. And they'll realize I'm doing something really special for Jesus. And I notice that it would seem that in our culture and perhaps in the church around us, important people are busy. So I better be busy. Um, 
And let's imagine another conversation that we might have. How's your week been? And at that point, do you feel a pressure to say, oh, it's been really, really busy? Would you dare say it hasn't been busy? Or would you somehow feel a bit guilty that you haven't been worthwhile enough because you haven't done all of these various different things in life? But actually, for us in life, we, we want to build good family life. It's important to rest. And it's important to work, so strong work ethic. And it's important to be involved in the church and committed. And so we, more than anybody, can feel a pressure to be busy and be running around and be um, run off our feet. And if only any, if anybody knew that actually this week hasn't been that busy. And I've just had a bit more time. Would we feel a bit, um, a bit guilty? Well, we shouldn't. Obviously, there'll be busy times of life. Obviously, we, we, walking with God will mean giving ourselves to serving him in our family lives, in work, within the church. But look at what Mary does. She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Even now, we know that she's doing the right thing. Because we're reading the Bible. And that's what Jesus said. But even now, we can share Martha's irritation. How dare she? And if we're feeling a pressure to perform, maybe serve God in a whole variety of ways, and it's not coming through grace, and it's not coming through mercy, we will get irritated with Jesus. Don't you care? Like Martha. And we'll get irritated with our brothers and sisters. Tell her to help. She's not doing enough. Maybe the answer is, Martha, work out what I've asked you to do and work out what I haven't asked you to do and just focus on what I have asked you to do. Mary starts by sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now I'm sure if Jesus then spoke a word of instruction to her or gestured to her, of course she would have got up and served and done what, was, uh, what Jesus was asking her to do. So, so waiting on the Lord is not kind of just glorified me time. It's I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm looking, I'm listening at what he said. I'm being fed and encouraged by that. And I'm, I'm learning to see. I'm learning to hear. I'm learning to set aside all the distractions and the many things I feel I ought to do. And perhaps the things I feel that other people might expect of me. But serving the Lord means I'm going to come before him and say, first of all, Jesus, I want to listen to you. Jesus, I need you. I need your mercy. It always starts there. It always involves that as its foundation. And so sometimes it's important to say, in order that we live and continue to live in grace and with an understanding of God's rich mercy, stop serving. Is there anything you need to do? Sorry, that's the wrong phrase, isn't it? Is there anything you need to stop doing? Not just for glorified me time, but actually to get first things first. 
I've got no time to wait on Jesus. I've got no time for the word. I've got no time to listen. Everything's in a hurry. And quickly we can get back into that position where we're on the seat. We might be really worried. Well, that's because we've made ourselves the master. Jesus, and we why is he not? Don't you care? But no, actually, the message of this psalm is we are servants. Being free means being God's servants. Him as master is the best news ever. And if life is about serving me, then I'll get really worried really quickly. And the solution will always be me. What would I do? What must I do? How can I solve the situation? If I'm waiting on God, actually, I'm casting my anxieties on him. And actually, the load lightens from my own shoulders. So, let's walk with God by waiting on him. It's not old-fashioned. It might be out of fashion. And there might be loads of things that would encourage us and tempt us to become driven, dry Christians. But we mustn't allow it to happen. The solution isn't, what must I do? But, hang on a minute. Let's get first things first. Lord, I want to listen to you. I want to follow you. I want to wait on you. I trust you, Lord. I believe that you're good. I'm not asking to see if you're good. Help! You're here. You're with me. You're in control. You're in charge. My life is most secure as I stand and look to you and wait for you to answer. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together? I'll pray in just a moment and then uh, we'll be ready to, to sing together before we close. Let's, let's seize this moment as an opportunity to be responding to God. It was interesting, a few things that were coming through in a time of worship. In other words, today may be the day when something finishes, something breaks, something changes. It may also be the day where we go back into ordinary life, of course, and the prayer hasn't yet been answered. The situation, the circumstance hasn't yet changed, but perhaps something in here has. That refreshed attitude to trust him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Psalms. I thank you that they they teach us and they remind us about what it means to walk with you through highs and lows. What it means to to trust you um, and to celebrate answers to prayer and to trust you in the midst of things not yet being all sorted and done and dusted. But Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that for anyone here who would, who would just feel actually uh, it has become a heavy yoke and a heavy burden. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in speaking to us in your word, you say, my, my yoke isn't like that. There is a yoke. We are your servants, Lord Jesus. You have responsibilities for us to bear, but not to bog us down and to dry us up and to nag at us. Be your own solution. Be your own solution. Be exceptional. Perform better. Do more. Try harder. Wake up earlier. Lord, you don't crack the whip. You invite us to meet with you, to meet with you in your word. Father, I pray, come and refresh us in the simple personal uh, step of waiting on you by listening to Jesus as we read the word and trust that you will shape us, you will mold us, you will help us, 
Lord, that we can genuinely cast our anxieties on you because you care. You are a master who cares for us in ways that we can't fully imagine or appreciate. But you are good. Let's, let's worship to conclude.